Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Escape the ordinary with Green and Black's organic chocolate. Sponsor of the Women's Podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savor. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. First thing I have to tell you is about a great free event we are hosting this coming Thursday online, of course, on Zoom. And we want you all to be there. It's called Four Wise Women, How to Survive Christmas 2020. Now, Christmas isn't cancelled, as we know, but let's face it, the pandemic festivities are going to be very different to any we've experienced before. So to help you navigate all your Yuletide conundrums, we've assembled a crack squad of Irish Times columnists. We have four wise women on hand to help. We've got beauty reporter Laura Kennedy, who's going to be bearing the best gift ideas this side of Bethlehem, including cosmetics and candles that your friends and family and you will love. We've got advice columnist Roe McDermott, who's going to be giving us insightful counsel on how to deal with everything from tricky family situations to self-care. Food writer Lily Higgins, who came on the podcast recently, is going to be talking to us about how to make your uh, feast the finest around. And finally, Hilary Fanning, who writes uh, a weekly lifestyle column in the Irish Times. She's going to be uh, making us laugh because whatever happens this Christmas, we have to smile and add in spot prizes from our generous hosts, Green and Blacks. And you've got a delicious night ahead. So see you there, hopefully, with jingle bells on. And you can register for free for the event on irishtimes.com forward slash four wise women. Or go to our social media pages, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast to find out more. See you there, hopefully. And in the meantime, if you have any Christmas related queries for our panel, send us an email at thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com and we will put it to them. And speaking of events, many of you joined us for a wonderful big night in recently with Claire Byrne. We just wanted to say thank you for that. And we know you all enjoyed it. Now, back to today's episode. Our book club is back and we know many of you have been reading along with us. Our book this time is Just Like You by Nick Hornby. And we've gathered the book clubbers to tell us what they thought about it. It's our usual crew, Anne Ingle, Bernice Harrison and Neve Towie. And as usual, they had some strong opinions. So let's see what they had to say. Well, here we are again. The book club is gathered. Neve Towie, Anne Ingle, Bernice Harrison and myself. And we're here to discuss Just Like You by Nick Hornby. So as usual, I'll just give you a read of the blurb to tell you a bit of what it's about. And then we'll go to our book clubbers. Lucy used to handle her adult romantic life according to the script she'd been handed. She met a guy just like herself, same age, same background, same hopes and dreams. They got married and started a family. Too bad he made her miserable. Now, two decades later, she's a nearly divorced 41-year-old schoolteacher with two school-aged sons and there is no script anymore. So when she meets Joseph, she isn't exactly looking for love. She's more in the market for a babysitter. Joseph is 22, living at home with his mother and working several jobs, including the butcher counter where he and Lucy meet. 
It's not a match anyone could have predicted. He's of a different class, a different culture and a different generation. But sometimes it turns out that the person who can make you happiest is the one you least expect, though it can take some manoeuvring to see it through. And just like you has been described as brilliantly observed, tender, but also brutally funny. Anne Ingle, what did you think? Well, I didn't think it was brutally funny, actually. I, d- I didn't see an awful lot of humour <laughs> in it, though, although people have said that. Um, isn't it an intriguing idea about the uh, 42-year-old woman and the 22-year-old man? And something I can identify with, you'd be horrified to hear, Rosine, because uh, I was widowed around that age. And um, at that stage in a woman's life, she's more open to... Um, sex than any other time I think you know it's from then on you really get that 10 years of really you know going for it so when this very handsome young man appears to take an interest in her I wouldn't blame her you know what I mean actually but of course it brings up all sorts of uh, terrible things in as much as there is a class difference there's an educational difference and um, you know that makes it a bit difficult but I thought I thought it was great the way he brought the class thing into the whole thing. When this young man has to meet this 42-year-old educated uh, teacher, woman's friends, they find it, he finds that quite difficult. You know, dinner parties are something he's not familiar with. Sure, you have your dinner at home with your mum and dad. You don't have to go out and have other people coming in and eat it as well. I mean, it's not the thing you do <laughs> in working-class families. But anyway, um, so that was interesting. And the other interesting thing I, I thought about that, the class thing, how football could go cut right through it. I mean, you can have a very uh, intelligent writer and you can have a, an, an ordinary guy like our, our Joseph and they can talk about football and that cuts through every class thing. So I found that bit interesting. And I'm, I'm really not talking about the whole book. I'm just going into specifics at the moment. Mom, can I just stop you there for a second and ask you about the Brexit angle? Because I suppose this is one of the first novel set around Brexit. It's set in the time of the referendum. And I thought he was very interesting on, um, clearly he had observed all his circle. He lives in Islington and his uh, friends and and seen how both sides were so polarised. And in many ways, both sides didn't really know what they were talking about a lot of the time. I thought that was really well portrayed. Did you like that? Yeah, I did. I, I just thought it was a bit of an intrusion, though, really and truly. I could have done without Brexit. I, I really didn't think that added to it I mean it was it was him exploring the theme and okay he used this as a vehicle to do that fair enough but um Brexit is so you know yesterday's news now at this point we're just fed up to the teeth with it that it didn't really add anything to the book for me and and then mum the other thing we should mention as well is that race is a big issue here too and yes something that Nick Hornby I actually interviewed him recently and his books have been uh, the famous High Fidelity, you know, about a boy, all these very famous books have been full of people you'd see in sort of a Richard Curtis movie, very white. And so this is the first time that he has had a prominent lead black character. How did you think that was handled? Yeah, I thought that was very good. I think that was very interesting uh, to see his background and, uh, you know, where his mother, the situation in his own home and his friends, etc. I, I really think that was very well done. I, I, I really... Talk to Joseph very much, I must say, more than anybody else, really, more than her. Um, and I thought the children were very good, too. Uh, the relationship with her white children, obviously, and the babysitter who was black. I thought that went very well. And, uh, yeah, I, I found him a very interesting, nice guy. But um, <laughs> she got lucky anyway, didn't she? Really, <laughs> at the meat <laughs> counter. <laughs> 
Um, I, and and there's a lovely scene in the uh, book where he takes her out and he doesn't know where to bring her and he decides he'd take her to a Shakespearean play. I think it was Much Ado About Nothing, was it? Or one of those light ones. Or Twelfth Night, was it? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't really make head nor tell it. He did do a little homework before they went, but he still he couldn't uh, understand it. So there was a kind of a big divide in that area where she could appreciate Shakespeare. And to him, that was, you know, just didn't come into his worldview. So uh, it was an interesting, the class thing I thought was very interesting. The education bit was very interesting. But basically, they just liked one another, you know, and they could get on with one another. and They could talk to one another about not, not about things like uh, plays and books but about other matters and, yeah, and the fact that the boys loved him so much as well, her boys, I thought was very good. So did you did you like the book overall? Well, overall, you know, I have a, an impediment at the moment, this broken shoulder, and I found it very good light reading. It's it's not something I would normally read. I have never actually read any of his books before, um, but I just found it a light, easy read. Um, you know, I, I'm probably most of his books are like that. I don't know what you call this. Some people call it man lit or something or something like that. I don't know. But anyway. Lad lit, I think, is what. Lad lit is the word. Is that, it? That's what he was kind of seen as at the beginning. But actually, in fact, uh, and speaking to him about that, you know, he was kind of the antithesis of that in a way because he was really interested in, um, you know, looking beyond kind of the typical things that people thought men were thinking about. And he would say that me- women often read his books to find out what was really going on in in a man's head and he says I, I hope I showed that it wasn't as bad as maybe they, they thought it was you know? but that was interesting the fact did he get the voice of the woman in it you see I actually listened to this on Audible as you know I, I don't read and uh, strange enough the Audible the people who did the Audible did things about Joseph in a man's voice and things about her in a female voice which was which was interesting um, but it makes it more difficult when you're hearing it to actually feel whether he's got the voice right for the woman uh, but I think he did I think he pulled it off I think you know he, he got that okay so generally speaking I found it a very good read for me at this particular time in my life <laughs> so a good pandemic distraction Neve. would you agree with that what did you what did you think of just like you yeah I suppose Roshi and I had like high expectations of this as I was saying um high fidelity was like one of those books I read as a teenager that I really loved and I just like almost how I read normal people in my mid-twenties, how I read High Fidelity in my teenage years. It was really zippy and engaging and it meant every page meant something I could relate to it, I suppose, or aspire to have what was happening to them happen in my own life. But um, with this, it was different. It's it's um, Anne reference there that he was seen as before as this kind of lad-lit author. I've seen this book referred to as mum-lit oh. and... <laughs> not that I'm accusing it of such but I can see why those comparisons have been drawn because I really felt the character of Lucy um she was like it was like the renaissance of a woman in her 40s she's newly divorced she's all this freedom um and qu- in a quite opposite way to Joseph's mother who was portrayed as kind of fuddy-duddy and had almost given up on life here Lucy was embracing everything that single life in your early 40s had and um, she was portrayed as really cool, really level-headed. Um, she was matter-of-fact and chilled out and yet like they had this very similar emotional intelligence together and that's what seemed to make the relationship work. Um, and, you know, even latter stages in the book where she meets his friends, um, like Joseph doesn't approach her friends with the same 
ability to relate to them, whereas Lucy is able to, you know, Lucy gets chatting to one, suddenly one of Joseph's female friends is like crying on her shoulder on a night out. And there's this, you get this real sense that Lucy is just this, um, age doesn't seem to have made her in any way different to him. I'm not sure. It, well, it not different, but um, she's able to transcend that better than I think he is. And I think that's because she's portrayed as this character who um, is almost in a way ageless or um, she is embracing her new life. Um, So it was like the ideal kind of scenario for a woman in her 40s. You know, she's portrayed as this kind of... um, I can see how if you were in that situation, you'd aspire to be like her, I suppose is what I'm saying. But yeah, I suppose for me, I found it hard to relate to and for what it's, it's supposed to be a kind of an easy read, you know, and for those things, I think it's really important that the reader is able to engage with it and is is able to relate to it. I suppose I found that difficult. The other thing, yeah, that really annoyed me about the book was the Brexit context. Um, I felt it was just used as a really very obvious vehicle for um, uh, giving context around his class and her class and the, the kind of social uh, circles they moved in. It was used as this um, you know, shtick for um, displaying because obviously, um, just to give a bit of context, Joseph's fa- both his father and his mother were voting to leave, and um, Lucy and all her kind of uh, middle class friends from this kind of posher side of North London were all um, adamant uh, remainers and were really keen to make that known in any conversations they had with them, and I just especially around the there's a particular few chapters that are set in and around the day of the vote and there's a, a lot of conversations had about the vote and I know um perhaps when Hornby was writing it which I think he, he wrote it two years ago uh I think it would have been a really interesting context two years ago but to read it now in the middle of a pandemic when Brexit seems so far away uh, I don't want to know about all those other <laughs> horrible things that have happened. I just, I didn't need it in my life. I didn't need it to be brought back into my life. I, th- I thought it was interesting, Neve, when uh, when he went to vote, he couldn't decide what to do. So he put an X in both boxes, the yes and the no. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph himself. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was funny too. And like, to be fair, at the dinner party, in Lucy's house at the dinner party, uh, where he reveals this, that he put an X in both boxes, you know, it's like something your mom would give you a smack on the wrist for and then here's uh, Lucy's friend Fiona (laughs) admonishing him for doing it and really patronizing him like that was good you know I I thought that you could include those little snippets but for it to have taken up such a large swathe of the book and to have it been it didn't I just felt that he didn't need to Mm. use it to give so much context around class I felt he was really uber aware of um trying to give context around each of their social classes and it actually wasn't really all that necessary I just felt it was too hammed up what I thought he did really excellently was the difference in age like it became quite clear that that was their biggest obstacle that was the biggest obstacle to their relationship it was not class or race it was age it was the one thing that both of them were very aware of um, and that kind of haunted them day to day Uh, so I thought he did that really well and I felt he could have done that on his own that scene 
that scene where um, she's dancing to his music because he's a bit of a DJ in the, in the, on the side as well. God, that was awful. Oh, I know my So he just can't <laughs> bear it. He sees her dancing and listening to his music and it really yeah. turns him off. Yeah. Actually, I think he has to leave the house at that point or something. He just can't bear it. Or, you know, then it comes on again or when he go, she goes to the nightclub with him and there's this line where he says he's trying not to curl his toes as she starts to dance. Oh, the poor woman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so like that stuff's done really well. And you can imagine those are the little daily reminders of the difference between them. Uh, so, yeah, I felt that was really good. And there are there's also like really funny bits in it. I wouldn't say it's devastatingly hilarious um, <laughs> at all, but there are really funny bits in it. You know, uh, like towards the end, you can see they're becoming more at the start of their relationship. They don't want to talk about the age gap at all. It's almost ignored. And towards the end, um, towards the end of the book, she starts just kind of like word vomiting all these scenarios, um, uh, you know, where their age gap will become different. And she says, you know, when I'm 70, you'll be 50. And uh, Joseph says back to her, yep, whether we're together or not. And they're just like loads of little funny pieces like that. She's just kind of like, whatever, you know, uh, he's able to batter off and she's on about like her saggy bum and uh, he just has really funny reposts to it, and I, I just I thought that was um, I thought that was really well done. But yeah, overall, I found it hard to relate to, and I think that's important for a book like this. If you're looking for kind of escapist um, stuff at the moment, I didn't feel it was. I had to work hard to, um, I suppose, to put myself in their shoes or to imagine what it was like. Uh, that's not necessarily a criticism of the book. I can imagine there are people who would be able to relate to it really well. Just it, it wasn't for me. Yeah. In the same way that High Fidelity was when I was a teenager. No, that's that's fair. Um, there's, I was just thinking of one time when Lucy says, uh, she's talking about her book club and she talks about before, that was before she wanted to kill them all. She had to leave the book club because she started harboring these murderous feelings. <laughs> so I hope nobody here is harboring murderous feelings. <laughs> Bernice, um, how did you feel well, about this book? I actually pretty much agree with everything, just about everything that Neve and Anne says. Um, that I read this at the start of this month and uh, the the day I finished it, I got a text from a pal who was reading um, one of the new uh, very literary Irish books out that playing very big on social media. And I think she thought I was also reading that. And she said, oh, for God's sake, I'm halfway through this. I don't think I can continue. And I had just finished the Nick Hornby and I thought, well, no, I've read a lovely light book that was just a page turner and there was light and fluffy. So, you know, I'm happier with that. That's kind of my speed currently. But this book, um, you know, at the start, you said, does anybody have um, any strong feelings about this? And I think it's really hard to have any strong feelings about this book. I think um, I didn't believe it. You mentioned Richard Curtis uh, at the start and he said he didn't want to write it. Like this to me is like a Richard Curtis movie in that very enjoyable, lovely. You sort of you're believing the relationships while you're reading it in the way that in a Richard Curtis movie you believe as you're watching it. But they don't bear any scrutiny when you put the book down. And, you know, the London milieu, very well chosen. You know, I could nearly hear the, the, the pop music surging in the background in the film version. You know, I felt it was more like um, a corny movie, really. Um, I didn't believe the relationship between the two. I didn't. I, I thought I thought she was very well drawn. Absolutely. I thought her and her environment, her pals, I thought they were very, very well drawn. I didn't believe him. I. But then again, I don't know any 23-year-old black London kids who are interested in music. I, you know, 
I do have a 23 year old in the house. Um, so with the result, I, I sort of feel I'm I'm OK about that kind of age group. And I just did not believe he was that age at any point. And I thought the attempts to sort of um, place him in that age group, the way he plays Xbox with the boys, you know, like that's the way he's 23. You know, that all the I, I just I just didn't believe it. And also the way that that she gets to she gets him to babysit now. <clears throat> I do know when my kids were small, I went over the top like the Gestapo in interviewing babysitters. I know that. But I never would have been so casual as to just get the bloke behind the counter and the butchers to come around on a Saturday night to babysit. You know, like that was completely ludicrous. So so with result, it started for me from a point of complete ludicrousness. And I just I just couldn't. And also, I think he chickened out. Um, as regards the sex, because you remember in the beginning, her friend, who is this, she's she's the limit. Her pal is always making her morto in the queue in the butchers by talking about her escapades and her fancying people and all that. And, and she's mortified by this. Um, and she gets together then with this young guy. But, you know, it's all very coy about the sex part of it. It's very, I thought it was very, very coy and unnecessarily coy. Um, I do, I do think it's perfectly credible that that a relationship would exist between a woman in her 40s and a, a, a man in his early 20s. In fact, Roshi and I was thinking, you, maybe my son, you know, who knows? Uh, <laughs> you know, who knows? Let's be open. No, let's be, let's be Anne Ingle about it. Let's be open. No, uh, no, but do you know what I mean? Like, so I don't find it on, on totally unbelievable. I just found this relationship unbelievable, totally unbelievable. And I found it all full of set pieces. Um, I agree with everybody says about the Brexit. Oh, for God's sake, Brexit, who cares? So on a broader issue, if this was, you know, your Tuesday night book club where you gather in your pal's house, you would have dispatched with this book within the first five minutes before the cork was out of the bottle. Everybody would have said, yeah, it was grand. Yeah. And then you would have moved on. So it's a very unsatisfactory book for a book club, I think. Oh, God, I'm sorry. It was my fault. <laughs> no, no, but that's the whole point. No, but that's the, you never know what you're going to read in a book club. So that's great. But it, just in terms of what you can get out of it. So that was one thing I thought. Definitely if this was, as I said, the Tuesday night book club, you just go, oh, yeah, fine. And nobody be bothered talking too much about it. The second thing I thought about, and it's this whole wider thing about women getting published. Like, I have this gorgeous, big, beautiful hardback copy of this Nick Hornby book, hardback. And I never ex- I heard the expression mum's lit. Somebody mentioned it there earlier. So this to me is just t- commercial fiction. Lovely. I read so much commercial fiction, I can't tell you. But my 100% belief is that if a, an unknown woman writer sent this into a publisher, they would just go, no. So I think his his name is is bringing it along. I think, you know, he's got an amazing track record. I think I think that's yeah, and that's why people will maybe pick it off the shelves and the new Nick Hornby. But what is it? There's there's much better commercial fiction out there. I totally agree with Bernice there. And it's I thought it was interesting, like I looked up some of the reviews it had gotten in The Guardian and the Washington Post and they're all kind of raving about it. And I, I, I couldn't understand that. Like you said, Bernice, if it was somebody unknown who had written this without that back history, would it even have been reviewed? No. Would it have even been published? I'm not sure. The hardback version of it, like I definitely agree with Bernice there. 
Green and Black's Organic Chocolate, a selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I'm always the Pollyanna in this book club and the person who kind of comes in with it. I really did enjoy it. I, I really like his other books, so I was looking forward to it. And um, I, I did find it funny. And I, I loved I love what you said, Mother, about the, the class and the and the that whole depiction of that. I thought it was very well done. I loved reading about London as well because I used to live there and I liked that whole Islington, North London. Just he, do, he does that very well. He always has. It's kind of, it's his stomping ground. It's, it's where he always returns to. And I thought he rose to the challenge of having a black character as well because that could have been quite difficult or overdone or whatever. And when I was talking to him, he said, I think he's friends with Zadie Smith and a few people like that. And he did send it to a few friends of colour to to make sure he hadn't, um, you know, gone overboard with some of the stuff. And one of the feedback that came back for one of his early drafts was, God, your, your white people talk a lot about race, don't they? And so we went through the book and cut out a lot of it because he was very, he felt that he'd been very self-conscious about the fact that there was, you know, a black character in it. So he, he, he calmed that all down. But I did really enjoy it and I would sort of recommend it to friends looking for a bit of a light pandemic distraction read. Would, would the rest of you recommend it? Well, it was the first uh, Nick Hornby book I'd ever read, believe it or not. I'd seen the film and I love High Fidelity. It's one of my favourite films. I love that. Uh, I'd never read anything before. And I think because of the time that's in it and where we've got time to read things that are not going to uh, be, you know, to just, you know, take up too much of our intellectual <laughs> um, processes, I think it's a good book from that point of view. So I would, I'd, I, but I'd say that with a caveat of, uh, you know, don't take this too seriously. Um, but the thing is, as, as Bernice was mentioning in it, you see, was he embarrassed about the sex between these two? Because he doesn't give us any of that. You know, uh, it's, it's not portrayed. We don't get any of that. We get all this, you know, going out maybe and staying in and watching The Sopranos every evening and having the sex. But They have the sex, but we don't get told anything about it. Do you know what I mean? So I wonder if he was kind of embarrassed about that because of this 42-year-old and the 22-year-old. I don't know what held him back. And especially seeing that that's what the relationship surely was all about. I mean, that was exactly, the point of it. Exactly, Bernice. What else could it be? Like, you know, it really and truly when it comes to facts. I mean, I'm sure they... they, 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 they there is a point I can imagine that you can get, get a feeling, you know, this um, chemistry happens whether, whether whatever age it can happen at. It can happen because I've, I've experienced myself. That age doesn't have to be a barrier. But it, it, I just wonder, was Nick a bit embarrassed about all this in the end? Because he didn't give us any straightforward, as you say. Though also, Anne, in the way in a fluffy Saturday Night Richard Curtis movie, you wouldn't have that either. And that's what I mean about this. It's just this just all surface. And I think about about would you would you press it into somebody's hands? It's interesting to me, and both Neve and Anne have mentioned this, about Brexit. It, it seems it, it seems to have aged the book terribly, actually. Yeah. Like, isn't that 20, interesting? Only a not, couple of years and it's suddenly 20, just feels, Isn't it? Yeah. 2016 now seems like another era. It's hard to even imagine that it was only for, like the Brexit well, vote was only then. But, but Bernice, isn't it the case though, had this pandemic not occurred, we would probably have much more wall-to-wall Brexit than we're having oh, now. Definitely. Because obviously Brexit's about to actually happen. There's all definitely. the negotiations going on, but it all is playing second fiddle to this global crisis. Completely, completely. And maybe, so maybe it would, and it's, it's, it is going to be interesting 
to to see how Brexit appears in other fiction, you know, how other writers handle it. Uh, so that is, go- and God, how, how writers are going to handle COVID. But how, you know, and I I actually agree. I think it was Anne said, I think it was kind of a shorthand way to describe the characters really. Uh, and I think from reading it, but maybe it's, be- but is it because, like, I have no interest in in politics or, or, you know, the inter- I've never lived in London. You know, I, I've no enormous interest, you know, so that made me feel even more distanced from it, I think. He, he does try to bring the Brexit then right up to date with the uh, father of, of Joseph the Scaffolder and, and he feeling that it didn't go any way right and it's not ended yet. So he did bring it right up to the minute, yeah. as it were. But that doesn't, that didn't make any difference to me because I don't really care about that. Brexit is something that's happening far away. I know it affects us terribly, but really and truly we've had it up to, you know, up to our top of our heads and it's too much. There was nice little vignettes in the book, for sure, definitely. Like the, I love the, you know, he takes a bit of a poke about the, the literary establishment when he, he has this this character, that uh, a, a novelist, and he's such an Egypt. Um, he's so self-regarding and self-satisfied. and So, uh, you know, he takes a bit of a poke there. So there's kind of, uh, int- I didn't find it, by the way, I didn't find it funny. I didn't laugh. I thought no. every now and again, I thought, oh yeah, that's kind of comic. But, uh, you know, I didn't go, I didn't, I, didn't I was wondering also, Bernice, who he had in mind when he was portraying that writer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Several people came to my mind. <laughs> I'm sure they did to you too. <laughs> totally agree. I liked, um, I liked the character that briefly dated Joseph Hannah, I think her name was. Another woman of colour. She was really um, into her books and really uh, literary. And she had some great sparring verbal moments with, um, with Lucy. There was a, there was, those were good scenes, I thought, where the, the younger woman and the older woman are kind of facing off but a again, little bit. You see the way you said they're good scenes? This is a cinema on a Saturday night. I thought, just to say as well, I thought like it was a bit old fashioned. Um, and I felt like readers of romantic or rom-com novels now, um, they're expecting less Brexit probably and more sex. And this book gave the opposite. Um, and he didn't like, you know, some of the books we've done on this podcast before, you're so drawn into the relationship, which is really the centre of the novel. It's not Brexit, it's not class, it's not race. It's about that one relationship. That needs to be so strong that it's, um, you know, it needs to have an armour around it. And I felt like the relationship between this couple didn't have that. And that's why I, it wasn't engaging. I don't think, probably wouldn't have mattered to me the age of the characters if that was um, bulletproof, but it wasn't. And um, like you said, it's very much like a Richard Curtis um, movie of the 90s. And we've come so far since then that that seems just like really old tack now at this stage. Um, and I felt like that was that this book had a lot of those old tropes that are really so irrelevant now and um, in terms of like the other younger and fresher novels that we've been reading lately. And I, I really did I, feel I'm like sure Nick Hornby fans will be reading it and enjoying it though, because they... Well, that's me. I enjoyed it and I'm a Nick Hornby there fan. There you go. So, the, you know, there's I one don't... of us among us that... Uh, but I mean, I didn't not enjoy it. I just know that it's a light read. It's nothing I would really... Go to, go to town on it. It's just. I just need to ask Neve. Did you actually say more sexist, less Brexit? Is no that sex, but that would work too. <laughs> more sex, less Brex. More sex, yes, less Brex. I, I think is the key. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Okay, so um, I think we've established that Bernice, you wouldn't be passing it on. I think no. And, Neve, no. you won't be passing it on. Oh, unfortunately not. But I do love his other, some of his other stuff. So 
Not to say that I, I don't like passing Nick it on to people just to give them something, you know, light to read. Mom, what about you? Yes, I think I would. Uh, but with the caveat, I would say, well, look, this is not a brilliant novel, but, you know, it'll pass a, a couple of hours and uh, you'll enjoy it. And what do okay. you think of it afterwards? We can talk to me about it. That's, well, that's... thank you very much. Thanks. Um, as Curtis Sittenfield uh, noted when, uh, about our last book club, um, we, she remarked on you talking about sex and you didn't disappoint her if Curtis is listening. She'd be pleased that you started off the whole book club uh, talking about your own proclivities, which was <laughs> not embarrassing at all. So thanks for that, Anne. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I look forward to, to having you all again. Thank you very much, Anne Ingle, Neve Terry and Bernice Harrison. <laughs> Thanks, Rosine. Thank See ya. And that's all we have time for. Thanks to book clubbers Anne, Neve and Bernice. And make sure to go to irishtimes.com forward slash four wise women and register for our event on Thursday. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 